Chapter Twenty Five of The Book of Snobs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Clifton. The Book of Snobs by William Makepeace Thackeray. Chapter Twenty Five A Visit to Some Country Snobs of the dinner to which we now sat down i am not going to be a severe critic the mahogany i hold to be inviolable but this i will say that i prefer sherry to marsala when i can get it and the latter was the wine of which i have no doubt i heard the cloop just before dinner nor was it particularly good of its kind however mrs major ponto did not evidently know the difference for she called the liqueur Armando Dillo during the whole of the repast, and drank but a half-glass of it, leaving the rest for the major and his guest. Stripes was in the livery of the Ponto family. Although shabby but gorgeous in the extreme, lots of magnificent worsted lace and livery buttons of a very notable size. The honest fellow's hands, I remarked, were very large and black and a fine odor of the stable was wafted about the room as he moved to and fro in his ministration. I should have preferred a clean maid-servant, but the sensations of the Londoners are too acute, perhaps, on these subjects, and a faithful John, after all, is more genteel. From the circumstance of the dinner being composed of pig's head, mock turtle soup, of pig's fry and roast ribs of pork, I am led to imagine that one of Ponto's black hampshires had been sacrificed a short time previous to my visit. It was an excellent and comfortable repast, only there was a rather sameness to it, certainly. I made a similar remark the next day. During the dinner, Mrs. Ponto asked me many questions regarding the nobility my relatives. When Lady Angelina Skeggs would come out, and if the Countess her mamma, this was said with much archness and hee-heeing, still wore that extraordinary purple hair-dye. Whether my lord Guttlebury kept beside his French chef, and an English cordon bleu for the roasts, an Italian for the confectionery, who attended at Lady Clipperclaw's conversationy, and whether Sir John Champion's Thursday mornings were pleasant, was it true that Lady Carabas, wanting to pawn her diamonds, found that they were paste, and that the Marquis had disposed of them beforehand? How was it that Snuffin, the great tobacco merchant, broke off the marriage which was on the tapet between him and their second daughter? And was it true that a mulatto lady came over from the Havana, and forbade the match? Upon my word, madam, I had begun, and was going on to say that I didn't know one word about all these matters which seemed so to interest Mrs. Major Ponto, when the Major, giving me a tread or stamp with his large foot under the table, said, "'Come on, come on, snob, my boy. We are all titled, you know. We know you're one of the fashionable people about town. We saw your name at Lady Clapperclaw's soirees, and the champagne breakfast, and as for the rub-a-dubs, of course, as relations.' oh of course i dine there twice a week i said and then i remembered that my cousin humphrey snob of the middle temple is a great frequenter of genteel societies and to have seen his name in the morning post at the tag end of several party lists 
so taking the hint i am ashamed to say that i indulged mrs major ponto with a deal of information about the first families in england such as would astonish those great personages if they knew it i described to her most accurately the three reigning beauties of last season at almex told her in confidence that his grace the d of w was going to be married the day after his statue was put up that his grace the d of d was also about to lead the fourth daughter of the archduke stephen to the hymeneal altar and talked to her in a word just in the style of mrs gore's last fashionable novel mrs major was quite fascinated by this brilliant conversation she had begun to trot out scraps of french just for all the world as they do in the novels and kissed her hand to me quite graciously telling me to come soon to cafe un petit musique au salon with which she tripped off like an elderly fairy shall i open a bottle of port or do you ever drink such a thing as hollands and water says ponto looking ruefully at me this was a very different style of thing to what i had been led to expect from him at her smoking-room at the club where he swaggers about his horses in his cellar and slapping me on the shoulder used to say come down to mangelwurzershire snob my boy and i'll give you as good a day's shooting and as good a glass of claret as any in this country well said i i like hollands much better than port and gin even better than hollands this was lucky it was gin and stripes brought in hot water on a splendid plated tray the jingling of a harp and piano soon announced that mrs pondo's un peu de musique had commenced and the smell of the stable again entering the dining-room in the person of stripes summoned us to cafe and a little concert she beckoned me with a winning smile to the sofa on which she made room for me and where we could command a fine view of the backs of the young ladies who were performing the musical entertainment very broad backs they were too strictly according to the present mode for crinoline or its substitutes is not an expensive luxury and young people in the country can afford to be in the fashion at very trifling charges miss emily ponto at the piano and her sister maria at that somewhat exploded instrument the harp were in light blue dresses that looked all flounce and spread out like mr green's balloon when inflated brilliant touch emily has and what a fine arm maria's is miss ponto remarked good-naturedly pointing out the merits of her daughter's and waving her own arm in such a way as to show that she was not a little satisfied with the beauty of that member i observed that she had about nine bracelets and bangles consisting of chains and padlocks the major's miniature and a variety of brass serpents with fiery ruby or tender turquoise eyes writhing up to her elbow almost in the most profuse contortions you recognize those polkas they were played at the devonshire house on the twenty-third of july the day of the grand fete so i said yes i knew em quite intimately and began wagging my head as if in acknowledgment of those old friends when the performance was concluded 
I had the felicity of a presentation and conversation with the two tall and scraggy Miss Pontos and Miss Wirt, the governess, set down to entertain us with variations on sitch a getting up the stairs. They were determined to be in the fashion. For the performance of getting up the stairs, I have no other name but that it was a stunner. First Miss Wirt, with great deliberation, played the original and beautiful melody, cutting it as it were, out of the instrument and firing off each note so loud, clear, and sharp that I am sure Stripes must have heard it in the stable. What a finger, says Mrs. Ponto, and indeed it was a finger, as knotted as a turkey's drumstick and splaying all over the piano. When she had banged out the tune slowly, she began a different manner of getting up the stairs, and did so with a fury and swiftness quite incredible. She spun up the stairs, she whirled up the stairs, she galloped up the stairs, she rattled up the stairs, and then, having got the tune to the top landing as though it were, she hurled it down again, shrieking to the bottom floor, where it sank in a crash as if exhausted by the breathless rapidity of the descent. Then Miss Work played getting up the stairs with the most pathetic and ravishing solemnity. Plaintive moans and sobs issued from the keys. You wept, you trembled, as though you were getting up the stairs. Miss Work's hands seemed to faint and wail and die in variations. Again, and she went up with a savage clang and rush of trumpets, as if Miss Work was storming a breach and although I knew nothing of music, as I sat and listened with my mouth open to this wonderful display, my coffee grew cold, and I wondered the windows did not crack and the chandelier start out of the beam at the sound of this earthquake of a piece of music. "'Glorious creature, isn't she?' said Mrs. Ponto. "'Squirts's favorite pupil, inestimable to have such a creature. Lady Carabas would give her eyes for her.' a prodigy of accomplishments thank you miss wirt and the young ladies gave a heave and a gasp of admiration a deep breathing gushing sound such as you hear at church when the sermon comes to a full stop miss wirt put her two great double-knuckled hands round a waist of her two pupils and said my dear children i hope you will be able to play it soon as well as your poor little governess when i lived with the dursenanes it was dear duchess's favorite and lady barbara and lady jane macbeth learned it it was while hearing jane play that i remember that dear lord castletoddy first fell in love with her and though he is but an irish peer with not more than fifteen thousand a year I persuaded Jane to have him. Do you know Castle Toddy, Mr. Snob? Round Towers, Sweet Place, Country Mayo. Old Lord Castle Toddy, the present lord was then Lord Inishawan, was a most eccentric old man, they say. He was mad. I heard His Royal Highness, the poor Duke of Sussex, such a man, my dears, but alas, addicted to smoking. I heard His Royal Highness say to the Marquis of Angley, I am sure that Castletoddy is mad. But Inishwan wasn't in marrying my sweet Jane, though the 
dear child had but her ten thousand pounds pour to portage most invaluable person whispered mrs major ponto to me he has lived in the very highest society and i who would be accustomed to see the governess bullied in the world was delighted to find this one ruling the roast and to think that even the majestic miss ponto bent before her as for my pipe so to speak it went out at once i haven't a word to say against a woman who was intimate with every duchess in the red book she wasn't the rosebud but she had been near it she had rubbed shoulders with the great and about those we talked all the evening incessantly and about the fashions and about the court until bedtime came and are there snobs in this elysium i exclaimed jumping into the lavender perfume bed porto's snoring boomed from the neighboring bedroom in reply End of chapter twenty five